This is the Thanks for Sharing podcast, a podcast where we explore all things recovery, healing, and relationship. You can subscribe and download episodes wherever you listen to podcasts. And you can follow us on our social media pages. And while you're at it, I would love a review. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Thanks for Sharing. I'm Jackie Pack, your host. And today's episode, I thought we would cover characteristics of healthy families. So after I've covered the different types of dysfunctional family systems, where we talked about enmeshment, we talked about disengaged families, I think it's also important to cover healthy family systems. So if you, like me, are recovering from an unhealthy family system that you grew up in, I think it's important to have an idea about where you can do things differently, what options you have in doing things differently, instead of just repeating the patterns you know so well, or maybe you hate so well from your own family system. So the first thing that I think is important to say is that healthy parenting is really about doing your own work so that your own emotional house is in order. And then second, healthy parenting is not about perfect parenting. There are no perfect parents. So when we're talking about healthy parenting, we're really talking about good enough parenting. Human beings are going to be human. So they're going to make mistakes. They're going to have their own emotions, sometimes move out of the window of tolerance. And this also happens in healthy family systems too. So while I'm going to talk about how healthy parents look and what those healthy family systems look like, we'll also talk about how parents are able to repair after making mistakes. So I also think it's important to acknowledge that there are layers to family dysfunction that we didn't necessarily talk about in the past two episodes where the dysfunction becomes complex as the issues get layered on top of other issues. So I like to think of the foundation of a family system being either enmeshed or disengaged or both. Like I talked about, you can have a foundation where both are mixed in because we do have two parents or maybe we have a step parent involved in the mix. Some of the issues that can then be layered on top include addiction, you know, like, so we might have an enmeshed family system where addiction is present and that's going to look a certain way, or we might have a foundation of a disengaged family system where we layer on top of that addiction. That's going to look different than an enmeshed family system. We might have family systems where the issue that we're layering on top is a mental health disorder or the, the parents come from unhealthy divorced parents. Maybe the kids in the family, they're adding on a layer of a toxic divorce to their foundation of enmeshment or disengaged. Maybe there's a parent that's a rageaholic or a codependent or a narcissist. Parents who are consumed in their own shame, parents who are shameless, parents who parent with religiosity, parents who play favorites. So you can plug in, you can see here, you can plug and play any of the additional issues that were happening in your family here. And then look at that, like how did those various layers add to either the enmeshed foundation or the disengaged foundation? Now, one more thing that I think it's important to say here, that if you tend to be really hard on yourself or you have a really strong inner critic, listening to this episode might be triggering for you. Now, that doesn't mean you should stop listening necessarily, but what it means is just listen with caution, listen with some care, be accepting of the changes you have made, 
or are making and recognize that even being curious about an episode on healthy family systems is a step in the right direction. So in other words, would your parents ever be curious about a podcast or episode like this? I know my parents would be defensive or they would find things to criticize instead of reflecting on their own parenting or having the awareness that there is work to do on their end to get their emotional house in order. So just be mindful of those things, care for yourself, be kind to yourself if you tend to be hard or have a strong inner critic. So, okay, let's get started. So first off, I'm going to be using some things from the book, Healthy Parenting, An Empowering Guide for Adult Children by the author, Janet Wojtitz. I don't know if that's how you say it. That's how it looks like you say it. So in this book, she talks about how your upbringing influences the way that you raise your children and what you can do to make it better for them. So to me, I'm like, doesn't that sound like the perfect book for this topic? So in this book, and I highly recommend that you get the book and read the book, but in this book, she has a list of 10 ways that parenting is different in a healthy family versus how an unhealthy family does it. And I'm a big believer in the importance of having a roadmap or a vision of what you're working towards and what is possible. So let's initially get into her list and then I'll uh, kind of break it down and talk about characteristics of healthy families once we get through her list. So number one, in a healthy family, the job of the parent is to take care of the children. In an unhealthy family, the job of the children is to take care of the parents. Maybe that sounds familiar. Number two, in a healthy family, the messages are clear and understood. If they are not, they can be questioned. In an unhealthy family, there are double messages leading to confusion and guessing. Number three, in a healthy family, the child is always loved, even if the child's behavior is unacceptable. In an unhealthy family, the child is shamed and the person is confused with their behavior. Number four, in a healthy family, personal boundaries are respected. In an unhealthy family, personal boundaries are unclear and often violated. Number five, in a healthy family, all feelings are tolerated. In an unhealthy family, feelings are often violated and are therefore repressed. Number six, in a healthy family, the parent is a teacher and a guide. In an unhealthy family, the children bring themselves up the best they can. Number seven, in a healthy family, there are reasonable limits and structure. In an unhealthy family, there's chaos or extreme rigidity. Number eight, in a healthy family, demands made on children are age and developmentally appropriate. In an unhealthy family, the child is asked to demonstrate pseudo maturity or is infantilized. So meaning maybe the child's put in a parenting role or they're doing chores that really are not age appropriate, kind of above what they we should be expecting of them, or the kid is not allowed to grow up. They're not allowed to express or develop independence. That's the infantilizing. And number nine, in a healthy family, children are affirmed regularly and automatically. I would add in there spontaneously. In an unhealthy family, children are made to feel unworthy and unlovable. And then number 10, in a healthy family, there is organization and planning as well as the ability to respond to a crisis. In an unhealthy family, the members respond from one crisis to the next. And when a crisis doesn't exist, they create them. Now she says, if your life experience, 
was the second and you want the life experience of your children to be the first option, then there is a great deal to learn. And that simply the desire for change does not automatically make change happen. We're going to have to put in work and effort in order to bring the change about. Now, one of the things I've talked about in previous episodes is that dysfunctional families can be concerned with how they look or come across to the outside world. This can happen in a mesh family systems. It can happen in disengaged family systems. They don't want anyone to see their dysfunction and the job of painting this facade or this false front is often given to the kids. Whereas in healthy family systems, parents are more concerned with their job of parenting than what others think of them as parents. They're not necessarily concerned about parenting in a rigid way, but in a way that they are just acknowledging the responsibility they took on when they decided to have a child. And they are prioritizing the child's overall well-being and development as they grow into adulthood. They're also prioritizing in their life the role that they play in making that happen. Now, I often say that good enough parents get their children to young adulthood with a pretty solid foundation for them to continue building on as they continue to grow and pursue their life. In good enough parenting, they want to have given their children healthy values. They want to give their children permission to pursue their own path in life, to give their children the awareness and knowledge that they're lovable, that they can be who they are or they who they are meant to be, that mistakes don't define them, that they can connect to their own purpose and passions, and they get to determine their life course for themselves. Or as much as we have control over life, right? Healthy parents are less focused on having a child who is uh, great academically or athletic or top of the class when it comes to being musical or whatever you know the parents' interests and talents are. And they're more focused on authentic growth and development. Healthy parents are emotionally attuned to the lives of their children and they don't see their emotions as a threat to themselves or as evidence that they aren't doing a good job. So, you know, I, having raised four girls, I think all of them, maybe one didn't, went through that age where, you know, they're feeling emotions, they're feeling them very intensely, but they don't have a well-developed vocabulary yet. You know, they maybe have learned the word hate and they know, they feel the power of that word. So they might say to me like, mom, I hate you. And I'm not gonna take that personal. I understand that they're very, very upset with what I'm not letting them do or what I'm having them do and it's not exactly what they want to do. And so again, it's not that these emotions are a threat to the parent or evidence that I'm not doing a good job. It's just that, yeah, they're feeling these emotions in their body and they're feeling them very intensely and they don't have a well-developed vocabulary. So I think part of the job as a parent is to help give them the emotional vocabulary to express themselves and to understand the emotional language that they can use to process the emotions that they feel. Healthy parents understand that emotions are complicated. So they allow a space and the relationship for the emotions to be processed within. In healthy family systems, all feelings are tolerated. Good enough parents know who their kids are. They support them. 
They want them to become a functional, healthy adult. And like I said, parents have taken responsibility for encouraging and cultivating that growth. Now, one of the ways that I think parents can help encourage and cultivate that growth is that they cultivate their own individual growth and they continue to grow their marital relationship and the relationships that they're part of. So, you know, often kids learn the most by what they see, what's demonstrated, what's modeled for them. So we can't just use the language with our kids, encouraging them to grow and to become who they are. They have to see us embracing those same values that we are trying to instill in them. They have to see us reaching for and instilling those values in our life as we demonstrate our growth and the value that we put on that, even as adults. Now, I think in healthy families, parents are friends with other couples. And they spend time fostering that friendship, that relationship. They might go on date night and they grow together. They support each other in their individual growth. So maybe, you know, what one person in the coupleship is doing isn't necessarily what the other person is doing, but they absolutely support and encourage that individual growth. I think in healthy parents, they turn to each other for support or help. They're not afraid of that emotional intimacy in the marital relationship. And instead, they use that relationship as a healthy resource. Now, as you can imagine, kids in this system are going to feel safe as the parents are also able to cultivate these connections that they have cultivated with each other and the other adults and friends that they have in their life. They're also going to cultivate those connections with their kids. And they're going to be modeling as they connect to other friends, how siblings can connect with each other. So just imagine for a minute, if you grew up with parents that both knew you and that you felt supported by, what do you think might be different in your life? Now, a lot of times what I hear from clients when I ask them to imagine this is, well, I'd have to have a whole different set of parents. And I'm usually like, right, okay. So because we're imagining, let's imagine that you have the exact parents you needed from your birth to young adulthood. Now, in imagination, things can get complicated if we try to make that realistic, right? So the exact parents that you needed might be different than what your sibling needed, but that's okay because we're imagining here. But if you had the exact parents that you needed, how would you be different? What would be different for you? If you take a minute to imagine the conversations that would have happened, that would have helped you process what was happening inside of you or around you or in your, you know, external environment. Maybe let's say, you know, I have this situation a lot of times with clients and I think I had it growing up. We typically had dogs. In fact, I was thinking the other day, I think every dog that, that I had as a kid growing up or that my family had as a kid growing up, they all got hit by cars. And now I know sometimes that happens and it's completely accidental and there's not neglect. But as I was thinking about this, I was driving probably home from work the other couple months ago and thinking about the fact that like every dog that I had growing up, they all died by being hit by a car. And then I was thinking about, you know, my kids, we've had dogs, I'm allergic to cats, so nothing against cats, but I'm allergic to cats. But we've had dogs 
for like, I don't, I don't know that there's been a span of very many years in my life, in my family of creation that we didn't have a dog, but none of them have been hit and killed by cars. Or maybe I should say that differently. Cause like I said, I do know that sometimes just it's not out of neglect, but something happened and the dog gets out and dogs are dogs and cars are cars. And sometimes that's not a good scenario, but the neglect of the family pets is not what caused their death. Let's just say that, right? That it wasn't neglect. And I think in my family, we were, we were in our, over our head, just having six kids, then let alone having a dog or two dogs on top of that. Yeah, of course the dogs were going to get neglected. Of course the dogs were going to get out, but let's, okay, let's go back to this imagination conversation. Let's say that the family dog dies and the family actually sits down and says, let's talk about how you're feeling with the death of this dog. And they share and connect through the emotions that are coming up for each member of the family. Now, maybe it's a different scenario. Let's say the family had to move or they decided to move. Maybe they didn't have to, but they decided to move. And it was difficult. It was a difficult thing for one or more of the kids. And the family actually has conversations about that. They make space for those emotions. They don't necessarily get mad like, well, you agreed that we were going to move or we had to move. So how can you be feeling this way? How can this be hard for you? Because we had to do this. No, it's like, yes, we needed to move or we made the decision to move. And it's more difficult than you thought it would be. And we have space for that. We're here for you. We're going to help you through that. Maybe there's a ritual before moving of saying goodbye to the house, recounting the growth and the memories that took place while the family lived in that house. Now, another trait or characteristic of healthy families is that they spend time together and they enjoy spending time together. They have fun when they spend time together, whether this is sitting down together at family dinner or going on family vacations or a family movie night, family game night. It's a time that brings everyone together in a way that fosters care and connection and fun and play. These families who have fun together and they enjoy spending time together, they create a safe home. They create a welcoming atmosphere and safe connections that are going to help make life more manageable. I truly believe that every child needs a safe home base. So a family that wants to spend time together, one that values time spent together and that has fun spending time together, a family that has parents who enjoy spending time with each other is going to foster a sense of security for the children that are growing up in that family system. Now, I know for me, this was a hard one because I, I don't know if I've mentioned this before, but like when I turned 16, and could drive and I had a job that required me to, to drive, right? I couldn't like walk to my job or something. I announced to my mom that I would no longer be going on any family vacation as long as the two of my parents were married. And I didn't. That summer, they all went up a trip along the coast of Oregon into Washington maybe, I think that's where they went and I didn't go. And my mom, I think she tried to guilt me into that. I think it shocked her. I'm sure it shocked her that, you know, she's planning this fun family vacation, which I have to say, we didn't go on vacation very often. 
not in the idea of I think of vacations, like my family went camping at the time that was fairly inexpensive. And we have a lot of mountains to go camping by nearby. So we would do that in the summertime. And often my dad wouldn't come, he would be, you know, working, quote, unquote, working. So he didn't come and we would all just, you know, my mom and the six kids would go camping by ourselves or maybe with some cousins or an aunt and uncle, something like that. But to actually go on a vacation, like where we're leaving the state kind of thing, that didn't happen very often. And that was going to be happening that summer. And I think it was something my mom was looking forward to. But to me, the reality was just like, I mean, she didn't do well in the lead up on vacation. She often maybe had a breakdown, emotional breakdown on the vacation. If my dad was there, that was even worse. And the tension was just, to me, unbearable. I could not tolerate it. And so when I was 15, I just announced, I'm not going on another vacation as long as the two of you are married. So I didn't go on that vacation. I think there was a couple of other ones that I didn't go on. I would just, I would prefer staying home rather than going because that wasn't going to be fun. It wasn't going to lead to connection. And so, you know, I knew intellectually as I got married and had kids that vacations could be a great time for families to bond and spend time together and to enjoy that. And I still had that, I just called it vacation ambivalence. Like, I don't want to do that. That sounds horrible to me. And, you know, my husband and I have had multiple conversations over our 30 year marriage where, you know, sometimes I can say, Hey, I think it would be a good idea to do this, whatever it is this summer, right? Some type of trip or thing that we're doing together. And in terms of the planning, I leave that up to him or now my kids are all young adults. Sometimes they get excited in the planning of it or searching for the Airbnb because that's the other thing, my directions, if we needed to rent an Airbnb in this part of town, I would get it in the exact opposite part of town thinking I got it in the right spot. So again, just thinking about how does the family spend time both in big ways, like going on vacation, but also just sitting around the dinner table. Are we fostering conversation? Are we fostering connection while we eat, while we're sitting down and eating? But also, I mean, sometimes during the teen years, you know, maybe you have to recognize that there has to be some flexibility because teens get busy. And so, you know, overall, we're still sitting down and valuing that time as a family to eat together. And sometimes not everybody is able to be present. Now, one of the things when my husband and I, I want to leading into the next um, characteristic that I think is of a healthy family system. When my husband and I were talking about getting married and kind of future planning about what our family might look like, what our life would look like, what we wanted it to look like. You know, I would often tell him that I believed that the greatest gift parents can give to their children is to love each other. And I must have said it enough that one time after I had said this, he asked me like, what do you mean by that? And he acknowledged, you know, he's heard me say it several times and just like, what, what are you talking about? What do you mean? Now I believed that, and I still do. I believe that my future husband came from a family where his mom and dad loved each other. So I could see and understand that he really didn't understand the gift he had been given. And as I started explaining why I believe this, 
He knew enough about my family and had witnessed some explosive behavior on my dad's part, some emotional breakdowns from my mom, that it started to make sense to him why I would see that loving relationship between parents as such the gift that it is. Now, we were also able to talk about that, you know, while I think at a basic level, his parents did love each other. And, you know, both of us had seen evidence that they did love each other. We also both agreed that we wanted something more than what they had. There's, I would say, or I describe it as more of a passive love for each other or kind of a play it safe and stay small kind of love. We talked about wanting, you know, the love in our relationship to be more active, to have more of a presence, a presence that could set the stage, so to speak, for how we were raising our children and how our family interacted. And again, like none of us are perfect and there's going to be misunderstandings. There's going to be conflict. I do still think that parents knowing the choices they make will roll downhill to their children starts to put that responsibility on parents for setting the system up in this way and to be intentional about what parents are doing different from what was done for them. So another characteristics or another way of describing this trait of healthy family systems is love. Love between the parents, love in the parents' relationship that's also open to continuing to create and evolve and welcome in children, children's friends, pets, and that the parents cherish these moments of love and connection. Now, one of my favorite definitions of love, and I didn't come up with it, is that love is wanting the person to be free, free of expectations, free from rigid roles in their family, free to develop into who they authentically are, free to be loved and accepted, unconditional, to be cherished and valued just as they are. Because I believe when people are free and they choose to spend time with you, or they choose to be with you, they choose to love you. Now that is love because they're free to do any other thing too. And they choose to make this time a priority or being with you a priority. I think it raises the bar when it comes to loving. It isn't gratitude for your family on demand or adoration for your parents because it's Mother's Day or Father's Day, it's expected of you or you're taught that it's the right thing to do. It's not love me or you're gonna be made to feel unworthy and unlovable. I think in loving families, parents are able to parent in a way that regularly affirms, shows appreciation, spontaneously expresses love and genuine enjoyment of their children. Now, I do wanna make a clarification here because sometimes when we're, when we're shooting for this and we maybe, you know, don't understand some of the nuances, we might overcorrect. So I want to make a clarification here that treating your child as though they are special and precious and deserving of all the love, just to be clear, so are all the other kids, both in and out of the family. It's a distinction that says you are worthy and deserving of love, but not that the child gets special treatment from others in a way that puts them above instead of, you know, lovable in a way that every other child is also lovable in their own way, or they're worthy of love. 
Adam Grant says it this way, telling or treating children as though they are superior is not what builds self-esteem. Healthy parenting says, you are special to me, not you deserve special treatment. And again, I wanna go back to um, one of the things I talked about in, this is going back about three years, had a client recently remind me of this in my podcast episode on the impact of family dysfunction. I talked about how children live in the three feet surrounding their parent. And I just wanna remind us that children live in the three feet surrounding their parents. What happens to the parent happens to the child. And that can be both positive and it can be negative. Now, the next characteristic of a healthy family system is stability. Going back to Wojtyla's list of healthy families, the last one, in a healthy family system, there's organization and planning. And in an unhealthy family system, members respond from one crisis to the next. And when a crisis doesn't exist, they create crises. So what can that look like? What does organization and planning in a healthy family system look like? Well, it can look like a lot of different things. It can look like stability in a job and that just provides some reliable income for the family or reliable, if you're in the United States, reliable healthcare, because that's always tied to a job. Or maybe it means the parents going to improve their financial situation by going back to school and, or putting themselves in a position to get promoted. But it's not this, you know, I have a job, I quit a job, I lose a job, I have a job. Like that is not planning an organization, that's chaos. I think it looks like fluid roles rather than rigid gender roles or expectations. So in healthy family systems, I would say there's not really gendered beliefs about who is responsible for cooking, cleaning, childcare, and instead there's fluidity and teamwork in getting everything done. I often, you know, my husband and I would often say the dishes don't care who does them. They don't care if it's a woman versus a man, the dishes just need to be done. But I think that's also part of the organization is that these household tasks are getting done. They're being cared for. They're not being neglected to the point that it feels like we're living in chaos. This teamwork allows stability for the kids having access to both parents rather than a relationship with one parent and being more distant with the other parent. Or like having one parent who knows what's going on at school and the other one has no idea what your teacher's name is. Again, this is like that would fall under some gendered parenting roles. Stability in the family also involves routines and rituals the family has that are predictable and flexible. Predictable provides that sense of safety and security, what we can count on, what we can predict in the family, but flexible that it allows for changes to the schedule that may come about from family members pursuing and exploring or being involved in and committed to other things. Stability also means, you know, the business of the family, planning for carpools, parent-teacher conferences, planning and saving for vacations. And it also means that parents are emotionally stable and aware and attuning to the emotional well-being of the family. We create time and space and we plan for conversations where we're sitting down and exploring what's going on emotionally from day to day or week to week. Maybe that's, you know, a bedtime routine. 
maybe that's a monthly, you know, on Sunday, we sit down and we have conversations one-on-one -on -one with the kids and, you know, talk about what's going on for them and if there's anything they want to share. So just creating that opportunity and that space for having the emotional conversations that need to happen in the life of a family. Conversations about friend problems when they happen, about not making the sports team that you really were dedicated and trying out for, about losses, whether that's the death of a pet or the death of a grandparent. The amount of chaos and stress that is reduced when the family has their financial, organizational, and emotional foundation stable will reduce the stress on the parents. And so therefore it reduces the stress on the children. So you may be wondering at this point in the episode with 40 to 50% of what we call first marriages ending in divorce, those are the stats as of 2022, how does it look when there's a blended family or step parents? Well, it is going to require more functional adults simply because we're probably going to have more adults in the mix. But it also isn't going to be drastically different or it shouldn't be drastically different because then the kids start thinking this family that I'm a part of is so abnormal that it's hard for them to see it as just healthy like other families. So, I'm, and I'm not talking about some ideal world where this happens. I know both personally and professionally, a few people who I would say had a healthy divorce and are functioning quite well post-divorce in terms of co-parenting and not harboring resentment and anger for the other parent. Now, I know this isn't possible in every situation, but I do think it's possible in more instances than we currently have. It's going to require all of the adults to do their work so they're able to approach the situation as a functional adult because getting divorced doesn't end your responsibility as a parent. And in some ways it's gonna make it trickier. So you're really going to have to dig in and do your work in order to effectively co-parent. So it means just like in healthy family systems or parents who come from unhealthy family systems and are wanting to create something different for their kids, it's going to require them to do their own work so that their emotional house is in order. Second, it's gonna remind them to remember that healthy parenting is not about perfect parenting. And it's not about pointing fingers at the imperfections. There just are no perfect parents. So when we're talking about healthy parenting in you know, divorce situations, we're still talking about good enough parenting. It means that you also need to be looking at and doing your work on what did you contribute to the marriage ending? What part did you play? Because I just don't think adults are victims. I think we all play a part, whether we're aware of it or not aware of it, whether we think ours is more passive and theirs is more overt, we still have to look at the part that we played. And sometimes we have to acknowledge that human beings are going to be human, which means they're going to make mistakes. And sometimes those mistakes are really hurtful and painful for the people in that person's life, including exes. Now, if you've listened to my podcast for a while, you've probably heard me mention how I feel about the general public handing out mental health diagnoses. If you haven't heard me talk about that, I'll just sum it up now and say I think it's harmful and I think it's reckless. 
And I don't think there's any way that when somebody's going through a divorce, them or the people who are supporting them in that process are really able to accurately diagnose the other person. And no, not everybody who gets divorced divorces a narcissist. There's just not that many narcissists in our society to have everyone who is divorcing, divorcing a narcissist. Divorce is a painful process and both people can tend to act from that place of pain. When there are kids involved, I think it is important that the parents do their own work. Kids deserve that from both of their parents. I think parents have to get to that place of being civil and maybe staying open to what life can look like after divorce. That maybe life after divorce with each other can look healthier than it did before the divorce. Maybe we start to be open to our ex bringing a new person into the family system. Maybe both people are bringing new people into the family system and that your kids will have people in their life that you didn't necessarily get a choice in, but you can be open and you can be friendly with those newcomers to the family system. Now, referencing back to Wojtyk's quote, in a healthy family system, personal boundaries are clear and respected. In an unhealthy family system, personal boundaries are unclear and they're often violated. In healthy divorce, there are all the feelings of sadness and confusion for the kids. Maybe they feel some fear about the uncertainty of what this is going to mean, these changes in the family. In healthy family systems, these emotions are addressed with sensitivity by both parents in a way that's sensitive to the children and respectful of the boundary around their love for each of their parents. Parents are still able to co-parent about school, carpool, parent-teacher conferences, and other decisions parents are going to need to make as their kids grow up, like how old are they when they're ready for a smartphone? They communicate about the events and the emotions that come up during their parent time that the other parent might not be aware of. Parents are not disclosing inappropriately information about the divorce or about the ex, and they can show respect to their former partner. And like I said, welcome in new step parents or step siblings as part of this new family system. And while there isn't the same kind of love that existed when the parents got married or when they had the children, there can still be respect and appreciation for each other and the children that you're co-parenting. Now I will say, and maybe if you came from a family where your parents divorced, how would things be different if your parents still operated as a team, even without that loving bond that exists in that marriage. Now, just imagine if you grew up with divorced parents who were able to still respect and appreciate each other and also respect and appreciate the relationships with you and this other parent that you still have a relationship with. How would that have been different for you if you grew up in a family where there was a toxic divorce? And instead, you now had the experience of a healthy divorce. I think for many of my clients, you know, they went through a toxic divorce as a kid, and now they're faced with a divorce in their own marriage. We have a lot of conversations in our sessions about, do you want to recreate this trauma from your childhood? Or do you think you can do it differently? So now let's talk about healthy family systems where the children are being raised in a single parent family. So referring back to Void, it says, quote, in a healthy family system, the job of the parent is to take care of the children. In an unhealthy family system, 
the job that children have is to take care of their parents. Now, while the job of being a single parent is definitely going to bring more stress simply just because you're doing it alone, there is still a way that the single parent can create a family system that makes the children feel safe and secure. Now, I think for healthy single parents, just like any parent, but maybe a little bit more necessary to do so for the single parent, the parental role has to be in place even when things get hard, even when maybe your emotional resources are low or you're exhausted. It's not a reason to collapse the healthy boundaries and put your child in a parenting role. And just like other parents, the single parent is going to have to do their own work in order to be a healthy resource for their kids. Healthy single parents want their children to not feel the weight of their worry, to not overly worry about adult things, they want their kids free to develop into their own person. So it might mean as a single parent that you get outside of your comfort zone and you meet people and you introduce people into you and your child's life so that they have healthy others in their life. It's not just the two of you against the world. And I'm not just talking about romantic relationships. Maybe this is friends that you develop and that you rely on or your siblings, or maybe there are sibling-like relationships that you have, and this other person is also able to offer their children valuable things that they alone would never be able to do. Now, it might be a different type of a healthy family system, but for the children, the result is they're growing up in a healthy family system. And I think in 2023, we have a lot of different types of families. The ones that really matter, and I think we're missing the point on a larger scale, you know, when we're creating policy or reversing policy or whatever, I don't think it matters the constellation of the family system. What matters is, are we dysfunctional or are we healthy? When you grow up in a home where you're managing the adult's rage or their outbursts or their insecurities, or their lack of emotional regulation, you learn to appease people when they are abusive rather than learning it's a cue to remove yourself. I think a healthy family system comes down to how conflict is managed. Are boundaries respected? Is there individual empowerment to the members of the family? Is there support and respect when mistakes are made and feelings are hurt? Are there genuine apologies offered and received? Are repairs to the relationships made through listening and attuning to the emotions and perspectives of the others? Healthy family systems are flexible to allow mistakes to be made while also working towards or working in a healthy connection that respects and values individuality and also respects and values connection. Healthy family systems foster healthy relationships and healthy behavior. And I believe that's something we can all learn in order to make our society healthier. At the end of this episode, I want to remind you that your story matters. Remember there's something meaningful in every chapter. Don't wait to share your story until it's finished. Until next time, Jackie. The Legal Stuff. This podcast is solely for the purpose of information and education and does not constitute therapy, nor should it replace competent professional help. Prayer of the Perfectionist. Nobody has time for perfection. We are pursuing progress. 
Help me to remember the only step I need to focus on is the next right step for me. Help me to remember that life is a journey. Help me be able to separate all that I am learning from all that I have to do. Help me to remember that I'm not alone. I can ask for help. Help me to strive for frequent awakenings, not mastery. I am enough. Amen.